0: At a certain point, I had to have a real discussion about, well, okay, it's not just foreign policy. In fact, politics in the U.S. is about domestic policy. If I don't agree with the fundamental principles, what's the point? This is not what it's about.
1: Full of conviction and confidence that his opinion mattered, Shervin von Hurl grew up hoping to go into foreign policy. But political burnout shifted his ambitions before he even started on the path. Deciding to sell out in the world of finance ended up leading him to work that he enjoyed and a path back to politics, but with a completely different outlook. Find out how listening to others can lead you to pick the side that feels more authentic for you on the next Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today I'm here with Shervin Van Hurl, and we're going to talk about picking sides, examining choices, and walk in the road. So Shervin, nice to have you with us.
0: I am really happy to be here. Thank you.
1: So I start this the same way with everybody. When we were in college, who were you and who did you think you would become as we were leaving?
0: So when we when we got to college, uh, I I was an opinionated, self-satisfied, kind of a jerk who thought he was a lot nicer than he actually was. (laughs) When we left, I kind of had no idea, right? Like, I was so convinced and so comfortable with what I was going to do because I, I, I knew it for years and years and years and years and years. And by the time we hit graduation, I wanted nothing to do with it, really.
1: Oh. Okay, and so go back, go back. When you got yeah, to college, who did you think you were going to become? I was
0: going to be involved with politics, but not as a politician, right? Like I, to- I ultimately wanted to make a run at secretary of state. And the way you do that is you hitch your wagon to a politician and you work your butt off, right? I thought that that's what I was going to do. And I was definitely a Republican because, you know, at the time I thought Republicans are the best foreign policy outlook. Um, Obviously, you know, it was very biased from my background. I'm half Iranian and I was actually born in Tehran. Father was American, mother was Iranian, and we were there during the revolution and actually my father had to go into hiding for six months, eight months uh-huh. um, and, and you know which meant that I didn't see him and my mom was off somewhere, so I was being passed around family member to family member. you know my, my uncle, who was a, an Air Force colonel, was disappeared and uh, luckily he was okay mostly and they released him. but you know he, he was tortured in jail and we had no idea where he was when he was gone, right? I have family that were executed because of who they were. So, you know, I felt deeply, deeply betrayed by Carter and the policies of the United States that allowed the Shah to fall and this to happen. Um, so, you know, that, that's where I was. And I knew that's what I wanted to do, which meant probably law school or Johns Hopkins School of Foreign and International Affairs or something. Right. And I'd been working on it for years. Right. I'd I'd worked on political campaigns. I'd worked in senators offices. I'd worked in governor's offices all through high school. By the time I was done with college, I just didn't want any of that. Wow. But I didn't know what I wanted.
1: Yeah. Okay. But you said when we were when we got to college, you were not as nice as you thought you were. Very opinionated. Did that part mellow? I mean, you were in Tabard. Everybody had to be mellow to be Tabard, right?
0: So yeah, if you ask my fellow tabardites they tell you I was the most intense tabardite there. <laughs> and and I was, right? Like I really enjoyed being in the tabard because everybody was so mellow, right? And so I could stop vibrating, you know? And so that it was a very comfortable safe place for me to just not have to be in control of everything all the time.
1: Yeah. So you la- you were leaving and you had known what you wanted but it wasn't feeling right, yeah. But probably not a lot of guidance to something else that felt more right. So, what was your path off of the college on the hill?
0: So, uh, my dad was sick, right? Um, and and I didn't know, but I guessed that I didn't. There there wasn't just much time left, right? So I decided, you know, the hell with it. I'm just gonna go home because no matter what happens, I'm 22 years old. If something happens to my dad and I'm not there. I'll regret it for the rest of my life, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, I don't have anything I have to do. So what I need to do is be with my dad. So I was for the next 11 months, right? He passed away Memorial Day weekend in 1997. At that point, it was like, all right, well, now what? You've done the thing you kind of had to do, right? So now, now the world is completely your oyster. You can go do whatever you want. Where do you want to be and where do you want to do it? Literally, I, I sat down and I was like, well, I know I want to be in New York City, And I want to afford to do all the things that New York City allows you to do. So I want to sell out. I'm going to move to New York City and I'm going to sell out. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to sell out. And that probably means I'm going to go into banking of some sort. I don't even know what banking is, right? I I didn't take any economics courses. I didn't take any finance courses. I didn't take a math course at Dartmouth because I placed out of all the basics that we had to. So the four years at Dartmouth, there was no math, anything, right? Right. I was like, I'm the hell with it. I'm just gonna go to the city and 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 sell out. So I did. <laughs> you know. Did you have
1: but, an like, end, like a time horizon for that?
0: Yeah. So I was I was gonna do it for three years. Okay. Right? And then I was okay. gonna apply to business school, I thought.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Right. And then once you're from business school, you can go do whatever, right? You can go work from to a big company, you can whatever. You know, I was doing all the research. I was reading all those books that said, okay, well, you know, if you go to this business school, your starting salary is this, right? Right, right. right. You know, so, so I was like, all right, yeah, what the heck? Go get three years of experience in New York City. Be a 20-year-old in New York because, you know, everybody should be a 20-year-old in New York. I, I believe that strongly, actually, as much as I hate the city. I still believe that strongly. And it was fun. It was, it was not what I expected in any way, shape, or form. Like, I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't nice. what I expected. But I had a really good friend from high school who was going to Columbia Law at the time, and he let me live uh, illegally in his Columbia Law School apartment. Nice. Um, and so I kind of had a safe base to take a risk, right? New York is a really easy place to not have to spend a lot of money if you have housing taken care of, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can walk just about everywhere. If you have to, you can take a subway somewhere. You can find and live on cheap food. If you're familiar at all with Columbia University area, mm-hmm. right? Like the number of Coronet pizza slices that I <laughs> ate. The first year I lived in New York City, because it was a giant slice of pizza and a drink for two twenty five. Right, that right? That was a day's worth of food. Yeah, and that's what I did. And so I just connected with everybody I could and started interviewing. And it took a while. It took seven, eight months. But I finally found a job working at Moody's, the, the rating agency, in a field of finance that was kind of ramping up quickly called structured finance, you know, the stuff that blew up the world back in oh eight and that's where I started and it turned out I was good at it right I was very good at it and I really enjoyed doing it so here I am what is it now 23 years later and I'm still in finance still doing structured and really still enjoying it wow Um, and business school never happened and politics never happens sort of right like that's the weird part right so i'll come back to that but you know i'm i'm in finance and i really enjoyed it all the ups and downs the crisis literally i I worked at one of the banks that went under you know i was part of the team that was there to kind of unwind the business after it went under and that gave me lots of really interesting stuff like i got involved in the detroit bankruptcy which is just you know it was fascinating stuff i'd never i mean who'd studied the financial financial health of Municipalities, right? And and right. the impact of of pensions and all these things. Like right? no idea. Yeah. No, no, here I am. I'm
1: I'm reminded of one of my early talks with Dan Gonzalez, who really, you know, struggled with that idea of being so passionate about something or being told we needed to follow the thing that we were passionate about, because you had such passion and then it kind of died. And then you thought, Well, I'm not passionate about this. I'm doing it for a very practical reason. And you find that it it feeds a part of you, even if you're not passionate about finance or municipalities, you know, in general, like it feeds that I'm good at this and it's interesting and fascinating and you're right. learning something new all the time. There are lots of different ways to find kind of fulfillment in what we do.
0: That's the interesting thing, right? Like I, I, I've thought long and hard about this. Like I'm, I'm very lucky. I really enjoy what I'm doing, right? But at the end of the day, the thing that makes me very happy doesn't have to be the job I have, right? The job has to put food on the table, to put a roof over my head, and take care of my help take care of my family, right? But as long as it does that, it doesn't have to be this all fulfilling thing that we were taught it had to be, right? And and, and I'm trying very hard to teach that to my kids. I'm not doing a very good job of it because, you know, I especially now with this lockdown, I'm here at my desk at seven in the morning and still working (laughs) we started this and i still have a model to build after we uh stop talking right it's it's gonna be a long day but
1: right
0: this i enjoy it right yeah you don't need to do what i'm doing
1: yeah it's just it made me think when you were saying that like what we were taught and it's funny because what got us into a place like Dartmouth and actually Dartmouth specifically. And at that time, when I remember President Friedman gave that address like our freshman year or something saying, you know, they were looking for people who were well-versed in Catullus and could play the cello and all of these that made like this well-rounded person. And then we all left feeling like we had to get so narrow, you know, and, and that the, the job was going to be everything to us and that it was going to define who we were and build our identity. And where's where's the Catullus and where's the cello playing in in having to do that? So you have found your Catullus and your cello, um, just not in that, oh, well, I was gonna say in the nine to five, but in the like, 6 a.m. <laughs> to midnight. But <laughs> so tell me about what it is that fills those extra moments when you can find them.
0: I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but you know I've done a lot of interviews with applicants for Dartmouth, right? Over the years. And the one thing I always look for is can they get passionate about something, right? Like I don't care what that passion is for. I don't care if it's for academia. I don't care if it's for a sport. I don't care if it's for an instrument, right? But do they have the capacity to really, really care about something in their lives, right? And if they have that spark, I think they'd be a very successful Dartmouth student. And and I, I think so it's because what Dartmouth teaches us even as we walked out, as you said, narrowing our interest, right? What Dartmouth teaches us is that we have a tool set. We're intelligent enough to pick up new tools if we need to. It's not frightening, yeah, right? Yeah. It's just it's just a matter of application. So go, like go out there, do something, figure it out. And because we know you have the capacity to be passionate about something, we know you'll make the world a better place somehow, Right. Yeah. And I love that about it. That's why I'm still involved. Here we are 25 years out, right? And I want to see that continue to happen. Have put these kids out there who have no fear of picking up new tools and have the ability to be passionate about something. And again, it doesn't matter, right? Because in in the in the 60, 80, 90 years that we're going to be alive, we're going to be passionate about a lot of different things, you know? And sometimes those things you stop being passionate about it, but you pick up something else. Yeah. And, and this is this is the circle that, that I mentioned earlier, right? like I've gotten involved in politics again. And again, not as an elected official or as a politician, but when we moved down here, I did my duty and I went and voted in in the election, right? The first election that came by. And I realized that there were no candidates on the Democratic side, right? Like you had no choice. You could either vote for a Republican.
1: And where are you? I have Fairhaven, New
0: Jersey. So in Monmouth County. Okay. Um, And the party didn't matter. Because right? at, at right. the local right. level, there's no Republican way to pick up the garbage. There's no Democratic <laughs> way to pave the streets. Right. right. Like so party doesn't matter really at the local level other than organization, things like that. But 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 in terms of policies, everybody wants to make sure that taxpayer dollars are spent well and that this town is as clean and safe and attractive as it possibly can get. Right. No big deal. But it annoyed me. Right. So I was like, you know what? I want to run. I want to run as a Democrat. And let's see what happens. Right. And, and it just happened as I was thinking this that I'd had a conversation with a few people who were involved with the local Democratic Committee, because here in New Jersey, actually by statute, every town has a, a municipal Democratic Committee and a municipal Republican Committee. If people want to get organized, there is a statutory infrastructure that they can get involved with, right? And so the person who's chair of the local Democratic heard that I was thinking about it. And so she called me and said, look, if you're interested, come talk. And so we talked and I decided the hell with it. I'm not going to win. I've only been living in town for, you know, by the time the election hit 18 months. So I started campaigning when I, when I'd been there for less than a year, nobody knows me and half the town is furious at me because we bought this hundred year old, 120 year old house. And I grew up in San Francisco where, you know, Victorians are painted bright colors and we painted the house bright colors and half the town hated me for painting the house bright colors (laughs) and the other half. But at least
1: I knew who you were, which is half the battle of running for something, right? Exactly,
0: right? Oh, you're the asshole (laughs) who painted your house. Literally, we were going to get some work done, and I had a a contractor. We were in the front yard, and we have a traffic light at the corner. So the light was red going east-west, and a car pulled up to the red light, lowered his window, and the guy driving yelled out of his window, You're a fucking asshole! And the light turned green and he went. And so the right light northwest, north-south was red. So a truck pulled up there. Guy rolled down his window and said, hey, are you going to paint the new shingles you put up there or leave those plain? I said, no, we're just going to leave those plain to age. He goes, amazing. I love what you've done with the house. Like literally in the time of one set of changes to the traffic light. And the contractor looked at me and goes, I thought you were lying when you told me this. I was like, nope, this this is what I deal with all the (laughs) time. So I ran and I lost, right? Like, yeah, yeah, not that badly, but I lost one, maybe two percent, right? Difference between the between the winner and loser. Huh? So I decided to run again the next year. I was like, yeah, what the heck, right? Like, uh, maybe, maybe I have a uh, have a chance. And another guy who'd been here five or six years at the time was like, well, you know, I've always been annoyed that there were no choices on the Democratic side, and why should he run alone, right? Because there are two seats. Oh. I'll reach out to him and we'll run together. And we did. And we had a great time. we just walking the town and knocking on doors and hanging out together and buying coffee for people at the at the local coffee shop. Like, it was fun. And he's become a very good friend. And he didn't win that year, right? But he did win the next year. So he became the second Democratic borough councilman in this town in the last 35 years. Mm. The woman who was chair of the local party ended up moving out of town. And so I ended up becoming chair. And I have been, and very fortunate, uh, another woman stepped up who'd been in town, uh, raised her kids here and was really uh, active in Bernie's campaign in 2016, stepped up and we became co-chairs together. And we've had a phenomenal run. And this year we actually picked up our fourth seat on the six person council. So the first time in anybody's living memory, Fairhaven is a democratic majority town. It's not me, I've actually had very little to do with it, other than, than kind of be the guy going, hey, we, we got something here, let's keep doing it. And it's been very interesting how we built it, right? It's been, it's been a group of people who've gotten involved once I ran and Chris ran, and some other people, you know, and Chris ran with Jess the second year, and Justin Win, but she came on board as vice chair. And we built this core group of people that we, we have committed to each other, that we're going to make decisions unanimously. So if it's something difficult and it means that we're sitting there for two, three hours working it out to get to that unanimous decision, we'll do it, right? And we've kind of subverted the traditional power structure. Like the, the way that these local organizations are designed to work, right, is as chair, you have a lot of power. As chair, you allow people to have votes on the county committee. You make all these decisions. Because the idea is then that you deliver this vote, this power to the next level up, who then delivers it to the next one. So you create not—it's it, machine doesn't work anymore, right? But it it creates this this power, right? And we've decided yeah, forget about it. That's not the way it's supposed to work. We just care about our town. And if if it, we end up getting involved on the county level or whatever, okay. But what matters is the way we're going to make the right decisions for our town is is to work together to come to things that work for us, right? So one of, the, one of the council members is an ex-Marine. So he's got decisions that are over here. And, you know, we've got Chris and myself in finance. We've got somebody who's a lawyer and somebody who's a teacher. And to have all of these things and to care about. So that's been very different. And it's so different and such a different way of interacting with politics than what I was doing, you know, when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 and involved in politics. But it, it's night and day. And, and I love it. Right. Like yeah. uh, you can hear it. Right. I'm I boring you to tears with minutia that just don't matter. But they matter to me because it's so cool. Right. It's the community that we've built that happens to have a political interest to it. And that's that's it's fun. And that's that's one of the things that really fills up my spare time.
1: Yeah. And I guess I'll ask you the question rather than telling you my perspective on this. You had known at 20 whatever that this kind of building this structure was something possible and, and, and all the stars aligned to kind of have these, this one party system in a town that could withstand two and all this stuff. Like, could you have done it then? What did you need to, did, was there time that needed to pass? Was there? I think a
0: lot of time needed to pass. Right. And, and, and this goes back to what I was saying that, you know, I was a, I was a very opinionated and kind of uh, jerk when I went in. Right. Like I was positive positive that I was one of the smartest people out there. You don't get to Dartmouth without having some of that, right? That, you know, if you put the work into it, you, you can do what you need to get done, right? So I knew I was smart and I thought I had all the answers and none of that would have worked here. What has worked is the ability to say, I don't have all the answers and I know I don't have all the answers. The way we're going to get to the right answer is by making sure everybody gets heard. I don't, I don't think I had that skill. I don't think I had that view where I cared to hear what other people had to say. And I'm kind of ashamed of that, honestly, right? Like, you know, I, yes, I had friends. Yes, I, I, you know, I tried to take care of them and all that. But the fact is, I always thought, you know, look, fuck it. I, I know what the right thing to do is here. I, I may not share that with you, but what you're doing is wrong. And I know it's wrong. So, you know, I'm, I'm being kind by not telling you that you're a fuck up. Right. Like that was me at 16, 17, 18. Now it's like, you, I, don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> right. Like we could figure it out. I'm positive we can figure it out. But I, I don't going in, I don't think I, I, you know, I do have the answer. So yeah, I don't think I could have done this 25 years ago.
1: And is that at all related to why you think you kind of burned out too early or? lost the love of it that you there was some realization that like I'm in the right and this whole system like does isn't set up for that unilateralism
0: um I, I think so but also you know I again San Francisco right so yes I was a republican by San Francisco standards but if you kind of think of what was going on in the Republican Party and in the conservative movement in the mid to late 90s it was shifting rightward pretty hard right and then you know, the the last year, uh, or freshman year, in fact, so before Bill Clinton got elected, right? um, California sent two groups to the convention. One that was the official group that was comprised of people like the founder of the log cabin, which is, you know, gay Republicans, right? And another group that felt that they weren't conservative enough and were literally walking around the convention with a button that said burn the log cabin, right? yeah. And I kinda is, you know, I was in I was in the tavern, right? I was I wasn't particularly conservative when it came to personal choices. I, I was very libertarian, small L libertarian, right? right if you right. wanted to use drugs, go ahead and use drugs. There are consequences, but there it's your life. Make your choices, right? Who do you want to sleep with? Who do you want to love? Who do you wanna right? I don't care. It's none of my business, you know? But don't break the law, right? Don't kill somebody. Like I care about that, right? If you want to fall in love with, a, with somebody who's the same gender that you are, who cares? You're, you present as a male and you want to wear a dress. Like, what difference does it make to me, right? You want to spend the rest of your life married? This is people couldn't right. marry, right? Like the same thing. Married to the person you love and they're the same gender as you are? Why shouldn't you get health care? I mean, was still doing local politics work when I left college and went to be with my dad. It was, I, I, was, I was working on a communications committee for a local Republican party, right? And somebody was yelling at me about how I was going to burn in hell because I was okay with domestic partner benefits. What the hell does this have to do with, I, I don't understand. And, and so that, that was kind of, I remember standing there going, you know, I'm trying, right? This is what I was supposed to be doing. I don't care about it, but now I really don't care about
1: mm-hmm,
0: it, right? Yeah. What's the point? This is not what it's about,
1: right? Right.
0: At a certain point, I had to have a real discussion about, well, okay, it's not just foreign policy. In fact, politics in the U.S. is about domestic policy. And If I don't agree with the fundamental principles, when we were seniors, both the presidents of Dayglo were members of the Tabard. They were my friends. Why would I want to live in a world and interact with people who thought they were going to burn in hell and were terrible people? Because they weren't. I, I had objective proof. Right? They were kind, wonderful, smart, intelligent, funny, loving people. So how can you judge people like that? You can't. And at a certain point, I had to say, I'm, uh, I'm not willing to.
1: And so now this collaborative effort and really focusing on what your community needs and the best way to do that clearly fills your soul in a way that never was going to. Right. Um, and so you have a family. I do. And you're I'm sure by that model, imparting a lot of things um, to the next generation. What is it that you kind of take with you from your experience in the last 25 years that's most important for you to impart?
0: I mean, th- this is not original in any way, shape or form, right? But, but meet people where they are and listen to them, right? Like just because just the answers that they've come up with aren't the answers that you've come up with, doesn't mean that their answers are wrong yes it's different when you're building a financial model and two plus two has to be four right but you know even building a financial model you make assumptions right you have to make assumptions you cannot represent reality in 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 an excel spreadsheet right (laughs) so you uh, the things that you choose to assume away or to include are also driven right so why are you making these assumptions is the are they really the right thing in everything that you do I'm still an opinionated asker, right? I, I still know I have a lot more answers than, than people. But, but I'm willing to listen when somebody tells me, you don't. This is wrong. Or maybe you should think about it this way, right? And th- if I can teach my kids to do that, right? Meet people where they are and understand that you're not always going to have the answer, which is a hard balance, right, as, as a parent, because you kind of have to have the answer all the time, right? You can't tell them, oh, you don't always have the answer, but you really need to eat your broccoli, right? So how do you walk that line? But if I can teach them to accept the people around them and treat those people with respect, then I kind of have done what I need to do as a parent. Yeah. And that's kind of weird, right? Like it's, that's not at all what my parents thought, right? My parents were like, you have to go to the best college possible. You have to get the best job. You have to do all these things. As long as you have a job, as long as you can put a roof over your head, oh, well, that's okay. You need to be good. You need to know the people around you. You need to talk to them. You need to build community. And part of it, part of it is my middle child is non-binary and has been and knows they are non-binary and have known since they were three. They didn't have the vocabulary at three. They just knew, right? Like, you know, today, daddy, today, I don't feel like a boy. Okay, well, here's the wardrobe we have. That's a girl's wardrobe, you know, a three-year-old girl wardrobe. Daddy, today, I don't feel like a Like a girl, okay, well, here's the boy wardrobe that we have, right? It's taken them time to develop the language and the way of expressing themselves. They've known it in their core since they were three, right? And it scares me because still even today, it's a scary world to be openly non-binary and do things, right? So so part of the community building has been a little Machiavellian, right? And that if I can build this community around us, then that's that much safer space this child to grow up in and and the support network that they'll have and i think this is where a lot of a lot more of my empathy comes from is is this knowledge that look if if i want this for my own child i need to show it to everybody else
1: yeah yeah and you know as you said like we had different upbringings and we've had to learn some of these lessons and it's taken us longer than hopefully the next generation will have to wait to learn it all so i think that you're exactly in the right place, even though I'm pretty sure at 20, you could not have dreamed that this is what you've you're, you would have been living.
0: No, it, it's, it's nothing at all. Right. Like that what I expected at, at 20 years old. And, and I'm OK with that. You know, it's not like I've fallen down on a dream or anything like that. No. It's like, this is cool. It's been an adventure. And this is why I'm less stressed about my own kids. Again, if we give people the tools to learn, they'll figure it out. So if we give the, if we put in the right building blocks, the empathy, the ethics, the morals, the interest in the world around them, everything else will work out. I hope, right? I hope. That's my belief, <laughs> you know?
1: We can all have the hope. We, we can. Well, I'm so glad that you're here to give us hope and to, to share your story. So thanks so much, Irvin, for being with yep. us. No problem. My pleasure is Shervin Von Hurl, who has more than 20 years of experience in the structured finance industry, having developed innovative capital solutions for many types of clients. He's co-chair of the Fairhaven Democratic Municipal Committee near the Jersey Shore, where he proudly lives in a brightly colored Victorian with his family. Wherever you live, we hope you're enjoying hearing these stories about life's twists and turns. Please consider not only subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts or another platform, but also sharing it with other people who you think might enjoy it. Have them look out for me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, and other friends at roadstakenshow.com or on the next episodes of Roads Taken.